Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. us today from Matthew. We're trekking along in Matthew. What are we on? 20? 22. God, we just thank you for Chris, and we pray. Um, we just pray that you would, uh, yeah, speak to, um, speak to us through him. Encourage us through him. Amen. How you guys doing? Um, you know what? Do you guys mind coming a little closer and we'll just do it without the microphone? Uh, no, we can hear you. Oh, rec- oh, recording. Oh, man, that's right. Huh? I can hold it. It's okay. Yeah, I was just thinking because it's, yeah, we can, it's intimate, but uh, it's, it's fine. It's good. Um, yeah, you can see, you can still move up if you want. Yeah, no, no, no pressure. This is the, the splash zone is the first two rows. That's where all the, like, the Holy Spirit really changes people. So if you want to be changed, yeah, the first two rows. Um, if you want partial change, the th- row three and four. And then, um, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> you got, <laughs> um, you guys, uh, you guys ever notice um, when, uh, when you're with a bunch of friends, you're in, mostly in high school, when you're walking to the car, and someone says, shotgun, or so, someone says, like, window, you know, no one ever yells, driver, <laughs> b- because why? Because the, the, the person who owns the car is the driver. Like, like they, it's just undisputed. Like, the person who owns the car, they're driving. Um, and we're, we're going to see about, uh, we're, we're going to hear about, it, like, what that really, how that applies to our life in, in a bit. But um, I was thinking of that. I was also thinking of the, bo- actually, we were talking, uh, where's Harry? Yeah, there you go. yeah, so we're talking about the Baja 5000, which is one of the, the biggest races in the world for uh, off-roading, and it uh, takes place in Baja, California. I think it's 5,000 kilometers. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally, it takes, it takes uh, like a day at least, or two days. Uh, it's it's, it's cra- more, probably more than that. Uh, gullies, uh, cliffs, uh, all kinds of dangerous, dangerous. You know, people, people have died. It's, it's very dangerous. You have a team of drivers, and you, you take turns. And it's, you're very reliant on your navigation guy. Very reliant. Like, if you do not listen to, to the, a sharp turn, as, as Harry said, you, you'll go off a cliff. You can go off a cliff and, and you're just done. I mean, you're in a protected vehicle, but a cliff can't protect you from that. So it's a very humbling thing to have to listen to someone else tell you where to go and, and, and tell you what to do when, you're, when you have the driver's seat, when, you're, when you have the wheel. And so there's going to be some parallels we're going to talk about. So... Uh, right now, we're, we're in Matthew, Jesus, the Son of God. He's, he's the King of the Jews. He's, he's arrived, and he's, he's marching around talking to people. But not everyone buys into it. And uh, he's in a land, he just arrived in a land in Israel with, that's under Roman occupation. About in 60 B.C., Rome came and conquered Israel, took it over. Uh, the Romans are in charge. The Romans are one of the more benevolent empires in history uh, before that, but they're still oppressive, they're still brutal, and they're still not, they're still taking over land that's not theirs. And so the Jews want them out. 
that most of them want him out. And so that's, that's the, the overall context. Then there's, there's two groups in this story we're going to hear about, the Herodians and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, many of you know, they're like the religious elite. They're, they're of the people, though. They're, um, they're not, always, not necessarily rich. Some of them are rich, but they're very, um, they take the Bible very seriously. They take the Torah and the prophets very seriously. Uh, they're highly religious. And then the Herodians are kind of like the sellout Jews. They're the ones that have aligned themselves with King Herod, who is, is Jewish, but it's a puppet of the Roman government. And they're, and they're just pretty much, they're, they're the social elites, they're the, the power brokers, they're the ones that uh, have collaborated with the Romans. So, um, that's who we're, so let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew 22, 15. So uh, let's all read out loud together, and I'll try to pace us. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the taxed money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they left, when they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The word of the Lord. Yeah, some of you can know that. Um, all right, so, so these guys are... Uh, they're trying to take down Jesus, trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him because the Herodians see him as a threat because if he is the Messiah or if people think he's the Messiah, he, it could cause an insurrection that's going to cause a, a revolution or a revolt against Rome, thereby damaging their position of power and, and threatening that. Then the Pharisees, even though they were, they're expecting the Messiah, they're waiting for the Messiah, Jesus is not cleanly lining up with everything they think the Messiah is going to be. He's not really cleanly lining up, and they're not going to take any chances on, because they have a level of power as well, and they're not going to take any chances on someone ruining that if, if he's not the true Messiah. And so, so they're, they're plotting to take him out. So they're, they're normal, actually common enemies, and they're joining forces to take out Jesus by trap. And the trap is, uh, should we pay taxes or not? And if you know the trap here is, if he says, yes, pay taxes, then he alienates all the people. That are, that, that, and he's a populist leader right now, Jesus is. He alienates the people because the people want a revolution. They want Rome gone, and they want a Messiah to lead them into that. They, want, they have a certain plan for their life, and they want someone to take them into that. And so uh, by doing that, by taking him off, uh, actually, could we put up the last, uh, the last verse? Um, by doing that, he's, uh, he's basically losing power and popularity by, by, if you say we pay taxes. So, so they, get him, they get him on that count. But if he says don't pay taxes and it pleases the people, then they have grounds to get him arrested, which is one of the accusations they end up using uh, for his crucifixion is he said not to pay taxes. So, so they have him in this trap here. How does he get out of it? How does he get out of it? Um, and Jesus, in his, uh, in his classic Jesus fashion, does a little uh, uh, matrix, uh, a matrix move that would shame Keanu Reeves. And he does this little thing and, and dodges their question in a little bit away. It's, 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 it's amazing. Um, so we're, we're going to see how he does this. But what's interesting, too, is I actually go to the, the first one, Allison. Uh, the, the first one, 
I love how they set him up too, because I think they all want him to, to say don't pay taxes, because that's the real, that's the easy one, and that's the one that'll take him out immediately, because you can get him arrested immediately. If he says pay taxes, then he'll slowly lose popularity. So, but they're trying to they're building up, trying to build up his ego, which you can't build up Jesus' ego. They're trying. Um, you know, you're true, teach the way of God, you, 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 you care about no one, you know, you're, you're, just, you're just a free thinker. They're just trying to build him up to make a bold declaration that they can nail him with. Um, and then he, but he recognizes it. And then he says, uh, show me the tax money. And let's see the coin here. This is probably the coin they were, they were using, okay? So this is, um, exactly, is it denarius? This is, uh, most likely it was Emperor Tiberius, who was the emperor during the time. And... It's, it's, so it's an image of him, and then below it usually said, son of the divine Augustus. So, so he was actually, his, his stepdad, Tiberius' stepdad was Caesar Augustus, who was pretty much the founder of the Roman Empire. His, his great uncle was Julius Caesar, murdered for, during the Roman Republic. Then he takes over eventually and creates the empire. And so he, anyway, so, so uh, he says, whose image is on there? So they say, oh, it's, the, it's, it's Caesar's. And they say, well, all right, we'll give, give to him what is Caesar's? And, and then, but then he goes beyond that and says, give to God what is God's. Render to God what is God's. And so the, at first they're like, okay, well, we got him. We, we, we got him trapped. We, we, it's just, it's, all right, good. We, we, did, we did our job. But then he went on and said something more. Okay, well, let's try to trap him in that too. Let's try to trap him and let's see what he's talking about. Render to God the things that are God's. So to help us out, I, I try to go through like what are the things that are God's? Because uh, God, I think, owns a lot of things. And so let's, let's go through. So I came up with a list of slides of the things he owns. I started in my kitchen and went out from there. So, yeah, apples. Or, actually, this is slide one. Do you mind going to slide number uh, uh, 71,898? So, okay, there we go. Yeah, so, yeah, I got, I got down to, to car, bank account, checkbook, wallet, nightstand, weed whacker. Um, I was in my garage at that point. Um, but I, actually, oh, actually, you know, actually go, to, go to slide 71,898. This is the, or 892, I'm sorry, that's the wrong, this is the wrong slide. Oh, yeah, actually, you know what, forget it. Yeah, forget it. The point is, he owns everything. He owns everything. God owns everything. And in fact, one of the names of God is, I think it's Elion, is, uh, means most high. And one of the translations of that is the God who owns everything. So, what turned, what starts out as a boring answer, like, oh, he just, you know, he just pleased, uh, he just, like, you know, is following the law, paying taxes to Caesar, okay, turns into this radical statement of saying, oh, whoa, 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 okay, everything, God owns everything? <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's, that's, that's deep, that's deep, and he's going beyond it. So, Then, I imagine in their heads, the Pharisees would say, wait a second, what was his rationale for paying taxes? Because they're the ones that, that uh, they, want, they want to capture it, they want to entrap him, but I, I bet some of them, there's got to be some of them who are maybe in their back of their minds, they're like, I hope he's the Messiah, I hope he's, and, and maybe they're a little disappointed by this. But then they're like, wait, wait a second, what's the rationale he uses? Image of Caesar, because Caesar made the coins, so give him the coins, or he made the coins. It's his metal, he printed it, or he, he stamped it, and created it. All right. Now, oh, and they would immediately think of, because they knew scripture really well, they'd immediately think of Genesis. When God is creating man and woman, he says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Which just gets a, gets a little more specific, a little more like ugh, uncomfortable. It's like, oh, he owns everything, but also like render to God yourself because you bear his image. Render to God. So it's much deeper. And what's interesting about uh, the, the word render, render is, uh, 
it's uh, I think it's Latin. It's uh, it's redares. So so it's dare is to to give, and it's like to excessively give or to give back, actually, which changes my whole perspective because like when I, when I gave my life to God, there's this there still is this sense of like. Oh, this generosity, Chris. Oh, this, this great courage you've done. You've, you've given your life to God. I gave my life to God. Like, what a noble, noble thing. <laughs> but if I look at the scripture, if I look at what Jesus is saying here, it's, it's really like, oh, I, I gave God's life back to him. I, I, like, yeah, a big pat on the back for get, returning someone's property. Big pat on the back. I mean, it's, it's, it was his to begin with. And so it's, it's a total attitude shift for me when I saw that. I was like, oh my gosh, render to God the things that are God's. Give back to him. It's actually the same word in Susan's sermon when she was talking about the, the vineyard. What the, the, when the people were giving like, a tribute to God, they were giving back the fruit that was in his vineyard, his own vineyard. They were just cultivating it. And they never owned it. And it's even deeper too because it's, it's, it's not only returning something that, something that someone owns. It's returning something to where it belongs belonging. And not only where it belongs, but where it thrives. Returning some, it's like returning a, a kidnapped child to its family who's been led astray by our, either our own desires or, or the enemy. We, we've, we're returning ourselves to our family, to, to, to our dad. I grew up in San Diego where there's uh, lots of tide pools. Tide pools are in between the, the shore and the ocean. There's this tidal zone where the tide comes in and out, and there's a lot of animals uh, who, are, who live in, in, the, in and out of the water. They, it's a very unique ecosystem. And there's lots of tourists there, and it's a very, most of them are protected areas because it's very fragile uh, territory, and it's very fascinating. And a lot of tourists will come there, and they'll have this little bucket, and, the, and these little kids will just grab these, these endangered hermit crabs and just throw them in a bucket, throw them in a bucket, and then try to take them home. And whenever I'm there, I'm, I'm Mr. Police, and I just go, okay, uh, yeah, can you have your son put that back? Because it's, it's, it's going to die by the time you get home. It's not it's outside of its environment. It's not meant to live there. And I think sometimes I think about giving my life to God. I'm like, oh, I'm thriving now, but I gotta go give my life to God. It's like, no, it's giving it back to the place where my soul is gonna thrive, where my spirit is gonna absolutely thrive. So, so Jesus, again, yeah, classic Jesus disappoints both parties. He, he, doesn't, he disappoints the traditionalists and the progressives, the, the conservatives, the liberals. He doesn't join a side, and he just, he just goes right in between. And, and, you know, if I was a Pharisee, too, I'd be like, oh, come on. Like, like, like oh, don't pay, t- pay taxes, but give yourself to God. That sounds like such a boring answer, a very passive answer. Give yourself to God. Something like a, something a, a real old priest who doesn't make anything happen would say doesn't seem active, okay? There's, a, there's oppression going on. Let's do something about it. But what's the big picture? Jesus is all about the big picture. And I, I oh gosh, I'm so myopic. I'm so narrow-minded sometimes, narrow-visioned. And, okay, so either we take out Rome or, or here, here's the choices. Either we take out Rome from, uh, from reigning over Israel or we, uh, uh, we just disciple 11 people and, uh, and, and get 11 people to give their lives to God. <laughs> let's take out Rome. I don't want the you know, 11 disciples. Oh, that's cute. 11 people who've given their lives to God. That's so sweet and cute. How is that going to change anything? 2,000 years later, where is Rome? Where's the Roman Empire? It's gone. Completely gone. Yeah, we, we, we hear about it. We can read about it in books. It's gone. 
where is these people, where are these people who give their lives to God? They're still around. They're still here. And there's 2.9 billion people who are at least are influenced by God. Who knows where they are in their, in their life? But there's at least 2.9 billion Christians or people who say they're Christians or are influenced by Christianity. That's way bigger. That, that, that right there is way bigger than what I would expect. And I don't know, I don't know why he doesn't overthrow Rome immediately, though. I, I still don't know. I, I get in the big picture, but that's a lot of patience. And Rome was in charge for another 600 years after this. It wasn't like they just came, you know, they just came and went. 600 years they stayed in power in Israel alone until they were invaded by someone else. And so it was, they've only been free for, they, they were at 100 years. Okay, so when David, nah, we don't even go into that, it's too much time. But they've been, Israel's been free for very little time. Very little time. This had constant oppression. And I don't understand why, he doesn't, why God doesn't do that. I, don't, I do not understand why God doesn't do that. But there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture. And I bring that perspective in my life so many times. I have this, this thing of like, Oh, if God could just do this, if God could just take out Rome, then everything would be fine. If God could just automatically just like end racism right now, it'd be so, if God could just end human trafficking right now, things would be so much better. Why can't he do that right now? He's powerful, he's loving, let's do it. I don't know. I don't know why. There's something at work. I know he's good. I know he's good. I know he loves me, and he loves everybody way more than, than any compassion I, I seem to have. And I think about this, too. I think about, there's been millions of good people, good people in this world, in the history of the world. Millions. Millions of good people. More noble than us, more good than us. And there's been probably thousands or ten thousands of revolutions. There's probably been zero just governments. I mean zero. Do you think in the, the Russian Revolution or the French Revolution that, that they ever had this idea that they were going to massacre a bunch of people when they took over power? No. No. I, like, overthrow King Louis and let's establish peace. Let's establish a good kingdom. But what happens? Guillotine. Massive executions. Lots of people dying. Blood in the streets. Unjust. People being killed for no reason at all. So unjustly. And they weren't thinking of that. I, mean, I know they weren't thinking of that. So why are we any better than that? Why are we any better? The Bolsheviks, and the Russian government was so corrupt and cruel. And, and just they sent them into a war that, with no preparation. People were dying without bullets because the soldiers didn't have anything to shoot with. But then the Bolsheviks overthrow them. And then 10 years later, Stalin was one of those guys. And Stalin was, was a bad dude, but I, I, don't, I, I do not believe he, was, he started out as bad. But, but, he, but he came in, overthrew this corrupt government, and then all of a sudden, slowly he sees all these enemies around him, and he starts to kill them because they disagree with him. And th- maybe 20 to 30 million people die in the span of the 30s, even before World War II, in these, in these concentration camps that he set up to stay in power because he wanted to create a just government. And I went to a... I went to a... a, a um, um, protest a while back, a couple, a couple, like a, a couple weeks ago. A protest about, about civil injustice and, and about the oppression that, that, that is, our nation is implementing. And it was actually very depressing. 
because the, the leaders of that particular protest were so full of anger and hate that I, I, it just, I was like, oh my gosh, it, it, it made me feel hopeless. Because like, uh, these are the people that are fighting against oppression that, that are on the front lines that need to be, that, that we need to fight against this. But they're carrying within them the same exact hate that, that caused the problem. And it, and it made, me, made me lose hope. And that's the thing. Can we show the, the, the metro map? Okay, so uh, this is the map of the metro in L.A. Um, look toward the center, the, the purple and red line. Let's, let's zero in on that in the black one. Okay, so what's interesting is that they line up on Union Station for about five exits or six exits. You can be in the same, you can be in the same route and, and, uh, and, but be on a different train, but you're doing the exact same route. And I think a lot of us, especially me, have started out my, my faith or even find myself in this faith, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, God, gosh, God's line is the red line. I'm the purple line. Like, I'm, I, I don't need to get on his train. I, I can stay in my own train because, because, because a lot of times, I bet throughout history, half of what Jesus said is popular. It, it, you know, things change, fads come and go, but about half of what Jesus said is, is sometimes popular. It's actually fashionable. It's, it's actually, some, and even now, sometimes it's fashionable to be countercultural, even. And, and it, which, is, which is great because there's a lot of things that need to change. But when we're not, when we're on our own train, when we're on our own metro, this can happen here. And all of a sudden you get to Wilshire, Vermont, down the, down the street here, and there's a diversion. And all of a sudden you're going in a different direction because God, God is taking you to Vermont and Beverly. And you're like, no, 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 no. I, I'm not, that's, that's a stupid way. I'm not going that way. I don't want Rome in my life. Like, no, this is, I'm all about you know, serving people, helping people. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. But you don't want to take out Rome? You, you, don't want, you want me to pay taxes? No, no. no. I'm going my own way. Yes. And that's the definition of, of why we're all lost sometimes is because we refuse to get on his train. We refuse to, to, to let him govern our lives and lead our lives. Can line up so easy and seem so seamless. Like, oh, I don't need to give my life fully to Christ because I'm doing what all the things that, that He calls for. But He's not asking for that. He's not asking for a partnership. He's asking for surrender, absolute, unconditional surrender. He's not going to give us the revolution we want. He's going to give us the revolution we need. And right here, He's saying in, in the Scripture, He's saying. It's more revolutionary to give yourself to God than it is to overthrow a government. It's more revolutionary to give yourself to God than it is to overthrow a government. It's more revolutionary to give yourself to God than to overthrow a government. That doesn't make sense to me. And when we, we let him lead our life, we let him surrender the wheel of our life. I mean, you think about, I don't know if you've been around a lot of drunk people who are trying to drive, and they're so resistant to give you their keys. Like, why is that? Like, it seems like, oh, yeah, you want to drive me home? Sure, why not? Because there's, there's a pride issue. No one wants to admit that they have had too much to drink or they're incapable of doing something. It's a very humiliating, humbling thing. Even just to let someone drive my own car, it feels weird sometimes to let someone have the wheel, or, or even let me get back in the driver's seat, but dictate me directions. 
But if we don't recognize that it's his wheel, it's his car, he calls the shots. If we don't recognize that, we're going to go off cliffs. We're going to blame him. We're going to get mad at him. But he's saying, you got to get on my train. It may seem like you're on my train just because you're, you're doing all the thing, like, so, most of the things that I'm saying to do. But it's all or nothing. All or nothing. And we bear, there's another thing about bearing his image too. We bear his image, we resemble him, but also we need to bear his image. And we do that by, by obedience. We do that by, by surrendering. When we let him take over the driver's seat of our car, it's almost like batteries come on and they animate and enliven all these dormant areas within our, our hearts and within our souls that, that are just incapable of functioning at the, at the level they're meant to function. When he says, on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, he, the kingdom of God is invading. It's invading. And it invades when we bear his image. It invades when, when we let him be king. When we don't let him be king of our life, there's no invasion. And there's no, and God's not taking over the world, and we deprive the world of God taking over more property. And he's not concerned about real estate, he's concerned about the real estate of your heart. Let him be king. Hmm. Let's, let's go, uh, look at some of the ministry questions here. Um, oh, actually, let's, look at, um, let's look, at the, look at the video clip. Let's do that. All right. Um, oh, it means sound? If we can go back a little bit. Rewind back. So the, right now, this is Lord of the Rings right here, okay? Great trilogy. This is the first one. All right, so they're, they're trying. There's a lot of, you know, spiritual imagery. Um, they have this ring, this powerful, powerful thing that can enact great change. And some people are saying, we need to destroy this because it's so powerful and it's created by the enemy. We need to, to not use this. And some people are saying, oh, we, we, we should use this. We can use this to defeat evil. We, we, we can take over the government and, then, make the, and then, de then defeat evil and actually make things go well. If we, just, if we could just get the power, if we could just get power. And so this is, uh, they're talking about the ring here. Do we want a king in our life? Do we want to be king of our own lives? It's easy to answer on paper. It's easy to say, yeah. Yeah, I, I should want a king. I should want that.